Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into Christopher West's work, Fill These Hearts, which is a series of reflections into John Paul II's vision of theology of the body. Now, he breaks this book down into three parts, uh, desire, design, and destiny. And by desire, what is he talking about? what we long for. By design, what is he talking about? What we are created for. And of course, by destiny, we are talking about the stuff of what we are headed for, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is the section that we find ourselves in uh, this evening. And so this is what we will be talking about today. Destiny in light of our freedom, a topic that we can never talk about enough because I don't know if there is any one topic, any one principle that is so abused as freedom. So anytime we have the opportunity to talk about it, we are going to talk about it. And please, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, observations about what we are talking about here on this radio program, or any subject matter concerning the Christian Catholic faith, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can just go to my website at joeholcraft.org, hit the contact link button there, and send your email on its way. It really is a joy for me to be able to engage you out there. You know, it's a fascinating thing that some of my closest relationships have come through this radio program uh, over the years, and I am really grateful for that. So please do not hesitate to uh, shoot me your emails. Now, That being said, let us jump into our subject matter. We have so much rich subject matter to talk about. We are in chapter 12 of this work, Fill These Hearts, a chapter titled Freeing Freedom. (laughs) Freeing Freedom. And in this topic, Christopher West reminds us that much is at stake in the way we understand and exercise our freedom. Why? Because As Lorenzo Abacete writes, freedom is the capacity for infinity. I like that. Freedom is the capacity for infinity. Abacete goes on to say, I am free each time I walk along the path that moves me to infinity. In other words, freedom properly understood and exercised is what enables me to reach my infinite destiny. However, as Albacete observes, if I choose to act in a particular way that separates me from my infant destiny, I lose something of my freedom and move closer to that abyss of not being free. I can be rescued from this abyss only when the attraction of infinity wins over whatever is attracting me away from it. This is the redemption of my freedom. Now, if you were to pull back and remember what we talked about months back, seemingly now, in chapters 2 to 4, we have a hint at what Albacete is talking about. In chapters 2 to 4, we talked about those three Gospels, huh? 
the fast food gospel, the starvation diet gospel, and the banquet gospel. When the fast food gospel attracts me away from God's design for my life, essentially, my dear friends, we are headed toward the abyss of not being free. It may well be, however, that I'm confusing God's design with the starvation diet. Indulging in fast food is more attractive than starving to death, but it's not more attractive than the banquet or the banquet gospel, as Christopher West talks about it. And this means the attraction of the banquet, the attraction of the true feast, can win over my attraction to fast food. This is the redemption of my freedom and our freedom. This is setting freedom, free to be itself and fulfill its purpose to lead to our infinite destiny. You know, I, uh, like Christopher West, and I'm sure all of us, had the typical idea of freedom as a teenager, huh? Freedom meant doing whatever I wanted to do without anyone telling me otherwise. But the question that is posed and needs to be answered is simply this. Were you able to say no? Were you free to say no? I know for me, I was not. I was not able to say no. I, like so many others, and I'm sure including you, was confusing freedom with license. Christopher West shares a little caveat story here. He says this, In speaking to audiences around the world, I like to ask women the following question, and I always invite the men to pay close attention to their answer. I ask the women to raise their hands if they would like to be in a relationship with a man who cannot say no to his hormones. Never, he says, has a hand gone up. Women into it that if we can't say no to our desires, our yes means nothing. Why, my friends? Well, quite simply, behind every no is an immeasurable greater yes. You have heard me speak to this before in a different context, because it can apply to many contexts. Why? Because it applies to the discipline of the spiritual life. Behind every no is an immeasurable greater yes. Because if we can't say no, we are not free. And if we are not free, we are not able to love, you see. Sex in such a situation is merely akin to what animals do when they're in heat, huh? Freedom is not liberty to indulge one's compulsions. That's license. True freedom is liberation from the compulsion to indulge. Freedom is not liberty to sin. Again, that's license. True freedom is liberation from sin. Only to the degree that we are free from the domination of lust are we able truly to become a gift to another person. Are we able truly to do what, my friends? Love. Love. What does love mean but to will the good of the other? That's why no woman 
wants to be in a relationship with a man who can't control his hormones. She simply knows that such a man is not free to love her. When it comes to sex, such a man can only behave like an animal or worse, like a monster. You know, as Christopher West does throughout this book, he turns his attention to a recent movie, song. Um, Here, he turns his his attention to Spider-Man 2 and the figure of Dr. Octopus, and he uses the character of Dr. Octopus to draw out and illustrate his point. Because it is in this fantastical morality tale where Dr. Octopus is the picture of what happens when we abuse our freedom and lose control of our passions. What happens? Well, all hell breaks loose. And the first to suffer when Dr. Octavius morphs into the monster Dr. Oc is who? But his wife. If we are not familiar with the story earlier in the movie, he had shared with, of course, the well-known Peter Parker, his heartfelt love for his wife. Now, as the story unfolds, lured by the prospect of having the power of the sun in the palm of his hand, he has thrown caution to the wind during an experience with nuclear fusion, and the mechanical arms used in his experiment ultimately take control of him. Amidst the mayhem, of course, his wife is the first to die. Eventually, Dr. Octavius's unbridled passions send humanity hurling toward the precipice on a train with no brakes. And it is only Spider-Man who, interestingly enough, sacrificing himself cruciform can save the day. In the end, however, Dr. Ock himself must regain control of his passions to prevent humanity from being destroyed. The noble Dr. Octavius returns when he demands from the mechanical arms that have enslaved him, you listen to me now. One of those poignant moments in the story. And as he sacrifices himself to save others, his final words in so many ways crown this story of self-mastery lost and at once self-mastery regained. I will not die a monster. The lesson learned here in Spider-Man 2, a powerful confirmation of Christian teaching, is that being dominated by our passions leads to self-destruction and ultimately, and something we need to be so attentive to, is also the destruction of others. Only by gaining mastery of the powerful forces within us that vie for dominance can we even begin to discover the truth that sets us free to love. Isn't that a striking allegory, huh, that we find in the character of Dr. Octavius in the movie Spider-Man 2? I really would encourage all of you out there listening to this radio program, listening to this podcast, when you are watching a movie, if look for those Christian themes, because many of the stories out there do indeed have a redemptive theme. We talked some months ago about Shawshank Redemption, and in a very similar way to Spider-Man in front of the train, when Andy Dufresne 
finally finds himself free from Shawshank Prison, he opens up his arms once again in that cruciform manner, reminding us of that overarching Christian theme of redemption. Interesting. Now, turning our attention to Scripture, in the language of the Apostle Paul, living in the freedom to love means what? Living by the Spirit, whereas living in bondage to lust means living by the flesh. To live by the Spirit does not mean we reject or negate the bodily aspect of our human nature, as is oftenly mistaken. Rather, living by the Spirit means we open our whole body, soul, personality to the indwelling of divine love. What is that great passage that comes to us in Romans chapter 5, verse 5? God's love has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. John Paul II has a great line. By opening to that divine gift through faith, that essential and creative spiritual power of love reaches human hearts and at the same time, human bodies. So the more we open ourselves up to the divine gift, the more free we become. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, as 2 Corinthians 3.17 reminds us. You know, a, a key indication of whether we are living by the love of the Spirit or by the lust of the flesh is whether we experience God's law as an aid to our freedom or as a hindrance to it. As John Paul II wrote, those who live by the flesh experience God's law as a burden and indeed as a restriction of their own freedom. On the other hand, those who are impelled by love feel an interior urge not to stop at the minimum demands of the law, but to live them in their fullness. John Paul II closes, This is a still uncertain and fragile journey as long as we are on earth, but it is one made possible by grace. You could find that quote from The Splendor of Truth, paragraph 18. What does the Apostle Paul write? Those who are led by the Spirit are not under the law. They're free from the law, not free to break it. Again, that's license. They're free to fulfill it because they don't desire to break it. Christ, my dear friends, did not come into this world to shove law down our throats. He came into the world to align the desires of our hearts with the divine design so we could no longer need the laws. If we were to go to paragraph 1968 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Catechism observes that Christ's teaching does not add new external precepts, but proceeds to reform the heart, the root of human acts where man chooses between the pure and the impure. My dear friends, it's only in as much as our hearts are rebelling against God's designs that we still need His law. To the degree that our hearts are in harmony with divine love, His commandments are not 
burdensome they well up from within. If you would go to John's first epistle, chapter 5, verse 3, this is what we read. Think about it. We are only bitter towards God's law when we desire to break it, right? Christopher West reflects. Pick any of God's laws that you are bitter about. Here's a proposal. Maybe the problem is not with God's law. Maybe instead the problem is just what Jesus said it was. Our own hardness of heart. And maybe the solution is not to throw God's law out the window or constantly reinterpret it. Maybe the solution is to ask God to change our hearts. What is that passage from Psalm 95, verses 7 to 8? If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. In our hardness of heart, we see God and his law as the tyrant to resist, when in fact, could we not say the real tyrant is our disordered desires under the grip of sin? Now, certainly, in a work that focuses in on theology of the body, we are talking about sexual addiction, but take any one addiction, take any one sin that you are addicted to, and you can apply it there. Huh? It's precisely from those disordered urges that Christ wants to set us free. Consider Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, Paul says, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. No one is as free as the person who sees what is true, good, and beautiful, and desires it with all his heart. And no one is as unfree as the person who continually bucks the truth that sets him free to justify indulging his disordered urges. Is this not a tragic irony? Such a person wants to be free from freedom so he can serve the tyrant of lust unhindered by what he considers God's oppressive rules. My dear friends, we have it backwards here. God's designs are not opposed to freedom. They're opposed precisely to that which keeps us bound, the aforementioned license. But what he gave us is the freedom to choose between good and evil, not to invent good and evil for ourselves. Remember what I have said in the past about judging something, huh? You do not judge what is subjective, what is unseen, unknown, but what you judge is objective, what is external, revealed, seen. We need to be better about how we understand this, mea culpa. Why? Because there is an objective order, a divine design to which freedom itself is answerable. But today, freedom has come to mean license to do whatever one chooses. Choice, in fact, quite simply, has come to mean any choice is a good choice. I mean, if you really think about that, do you believe it, that any choice is a good choice? If you were to apply this to many examples, you would see otherwise. Is it a good choice to run a red light, huh? In the end, 
such a notion of choice is actually the negation of freedom. Because if any choice is a good choice, all choices are ultimately the same and no authentic choice exists. Only whims, seductions, addictions. It is precisely the objective order of God's design that makes choice something real, something dramatic. Saying yes to God and the objective moral standard is an adventure, my friends. Satan would have us think otherwise. Once again, Satan would have us thinking we are being oppressed. But no, there's nothing more exciting, more adventurous to say yes to Jesus Christ, most especially in light of our desire, design, and destiny. The ultimate drama of freedom is simply the capacity for infinity. We yearn for infinite fulfillment, for infinite love. And that's our destiny. That's the the mark we are aiming for. And again, that word mark is very important because to sin is to miss the mark, but to live in God's love and God's law is to strike bullseye. Freedom itself is the capacity to hit that mark or through the abuse of freedom to miss it. Now, Christopher West poses a question. What should we do if we realize we have missed the mark and abused our freedom? Well, repent. This is the essence of the gospel and the essence of our faith. We need to entrust ourselves to God's mercy. It's always fascinating to get into what certain words mean, huh? The Latin word for mercy is misericordia. It means a heart which gives itself to those in misery. We seem to think that our misery repulses God, but God is rich in mercy, as John Paul II beautifully reminded us in his encyclical, rich in mercy. And what does that mean? Well, it means that our misery attracts God's love. Like a child who instinctively and compassionately wants to mend the wing of a bird that has fallen from its nest, Christ wants to heal us and restore us to our true humanity. My dear friends, Christ wants to set us free, free from lust and free to love. Free from lust and free to love. By the way, those are the two closing chapters of Christopher West's book. There's something that Christopher West does at the end of this chapter, and I find it interesting. He offers up an illustration between license and freedom, and he kind of does a juxtaposition, if you will. And he says this, In license, we see freedom to indulge compulsions. In authentic freedom, we see freedom from compulsion to indulge. In license, we have something that negates love. In authentic freedom, we have something that affords love. In license, we do whatever feels good. In authentic freedom, we do what is good. With license, we have this idea that we are free to sin. One who is authentically free is free from sin. License sees God as the tyrant. Authentic freedom sees sin as the tyrant. One who feels licensed sees God's law as an imposition. 
One who is authentically free has God's law written on his heart. One who feels licensed breaks the law. One who is authentically free fulfills the law. One who abides in license sees any choice as a good choice. One who is authentically free understands the choice between good and evil. In the end, my friends, freedom lies at the center of it all. It lies at the center of it all because as we've talked about it, freedom is that which is most native to love. So, in opening, as we talked about desire, design, and destiny, it is important for us to be constant in putting these three words, these three Ds, in the context of freedom. If Christopher West's work, Fill These Hearts, is about desire, it is about not superficial wants, not trivial desires, but again, that atomic energy of our souls, that universal ache and longing we feel as human beings for something. We posed the question some months ago, where does that hungry void in us come from? Why do we have it? What are we supposed to do with it? And is there anything that we can do to fill it? All of these questions are relevant to the extent that we understand freedom as not an end in itself, but as a means to an end, that end being the person of Jesus Christ and our call to give glory to God. And in so many ways, when we talk about design and, and what we are created for, we reminded that if God is the author of our humanity, he is also the author of human desire. And that desire must be caught up in freedom. And as we have been reflecting over recent weeks, and especially this evening, freedom is about destiny, because it is about choosing the right from the wrong with the end in mind. It is about choosing the right from the wrong as we are called to love. Love in truth. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, the gift of the opportunity we have to reflect into the richness of your faith, most especially as we apply it to theology of the body. We grant a deeper understanding in the things that you wish to reveal to us, not only in sacred scripture, but in the deposit of faith and in the writings of John Paul II. We pray this uh, through the intercession of St. John Paul II, and certainly to um, our mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.